This is part three of three of our David Lynch retrospective. Yeah. I'm going to call it that. We watched Mulholland Drive, which I was very excited for Pete to watch, but he couldn't make it. But Howie very gallantly stepped in yeah. and shots fired early doors in the WhatsApp group. It was a bit, a bit of a head scratcher for you, right, <laughs> right out of the gate. Right out of the gate. I was, I was immediately thinking, am I stupid? And I was worried that it was just going to completely pass me by. So we'll go into the review of it. But I was thrown on Sky Store. It said 20th year reissue. I thought, well, it must be a pretty damn. And I read a little, little bit of a read. I didn't want to go into the plot. I didn't want to mm. spoil it. And it said, iconic film, top lists. I went, cool. Let's just, let's just see. I've never heard of it. And there was a trailer which didn't really spoil anything. <laughs> Have you seen any David Lynch movies before? We did Blue Velvet. You weren't a no, part of that. No. Have you seen that? No, I don't think I have. So I was aware that once you said Lynch, there's going to be some surreal stuff. And also I linked it to Twin Peaks, which I've never seen. Mm. It's definitely linked to Twin Peaks. Yes. Yeah, sure. and I, I don't, from the limited clips that I've seen of Twin Peaks, I was aware of that very strange midget. Yeah, who's not a midget in this. Yeah. You're going to have to really help me through this because I think a lot of it was lost on me because it's. I, I suspect once you explain it to me, I'll get well, it better. Let, 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 we'll, we'll get into it, but yeah. I don't think... It, it, so it's a surrealist... It's, it's described as a surrealist neo-noir, okay? And the narrative of the plot is kind of all over the place in the sense that Nothing's wrapped up in a nice, neat bow for you. It's definitely there for your interpretation or whatever theories you want to come up with. And, that, and we'll talk about it later, but there are about a billion theories about what could, exactly yeah. is going on with this film. It's going to be sort of difficult to walk through the entire plot step by step, but I think we should definitely talk about some key moments that happen. Yeah, yeah. Well. Certainly how it starts, because there's there's various things, even just short little quick clips of things that happen in the movie that are almost thrown away but are probably incredibly significant okay okay so it starts off the very opening gambit there's people it dancing is a kind it? of is a jitterbug competition mm. i believe and it is naomi watts character mm. betty betty slash diane diane okay yeah see so go on <laughs> I think what's happened is she has won this competition and you see her and I think it's her folks. She's smiling and celebrating. Do you actually see her get presented with a trophy? I can't quite remember, but she certainly seems to have won this competition Mm -hmm. and that propels her on to wanting a life of um, stardom and she's going to pursue a career in acting. So the next... Well, we get then we get a few scenes of a red blanket and some breathing. And I think this is one of these things... (sighs) It's like being with Howie. I think this is one of these things that you could just see as some throwaway nonsense but i think that one is potentially very significant mm. after that is where we go to the other lady who becomes known as rita yes in a car in, yep. a, in a, a limo she's a sole passenger of this limousine and is going along my holland drive and the passenger turns around there's some money in a bag yeah and the passenger turns around with a gun and we're also, it's interspersed with some noise of a, a sort of like a drag race, a street race going on. Some really fucking loud, annoying kids. And then you get head on collision. So the car that Rita is in. Which is parked up. It's very unexpected. It as is. Well, and it's, it's not telegraphed it, at it all. It smashes head on into one of the cars with all the kids in it. And it's kind of presented 
not in a usual Hollywood kind of crash. There's not like a million flips of the car going down a bank or anything like that. It just is a, like a it pretty... Stuff it's there. not even typical Lynchian dreamlike stuff. It's kind no. of just presented very matter-of-factly. This is a thing that happened. Yeah, she survives. No one else survives the crash. And she sort of crawls away, obviously disorientated and, and battered and bruised, but nothing other than that physically apparently wrong with her. So she, I guess, you flees the scene and ends up... Well, she's back at an apartment, isn't she? She just sneaks into an she apartment. She just sees an apartment become vacant. She sees a lady leave and she goes in and just sort of goes to sleep on the floor. Yeah. And then things start to get weird. <laughs> Diane, Betty, Betty, sorry, is at the airport. She's on her way to LA, and she's obviously been sat with these an elderly couple who have sort of chaperoned her on her journey. And it's all very amicable, very nice. And they say, you know, wish you all the best. She says, oh, it's lovely to speak to meet you, and blah blah blah. And then the two old people get in a cab and just have this fucking weird grin on their face. Mm. And the old lady pats the man on the knee, and you're thinking, "What, what? the fuck is there?" So <laughs> what's the, going the weird, on? the weird effect of the faces smiling reminded me of Black Old Sun yeah. video. Yeah, it's like he, that. He did it a few times. He did it in Inland Empire. I posted a tweet from yeah. that today. <laughs> so what's the? Is there a reason for that? Is it just to show that people are fake? See, this is where my wife and I were talking. Joe's like, "This is like showing you that Hollywood is full of fake people." who are just grinning inanely for the sake of it. Is that what it's supposed to be? If that, I, I think a lot of this stuff is yeah. if that's what you take out of it, okay. then that's that's what it is. He will never say, he will never sit down, and I've watched interviews with him where people just say, oh, what's this? And he just says, the film is the film. Is, it a, like, is that a cop-out to say that? Though? No, I don't think so, because when a director has as much success as he's had or has as many films out mm. as he has, you should know what you're what you're likely to expect that you know it wouldn't surprise me when i watch mulholland drive having been a fan of twin peaks and other stuff like that that the film is like this mm, um, okay. yeah he's he's known it, you for that forgive him right i was thinking about this and this film you forgive him for like setting up all these really cool things that really never pay off or just or if they do pay off pay off in really bizarre and yeah. and unconnected you know he's not interested in storytelling and you forgive him that because he's David Lynch in yeah. a way that you wouldn't other directors yeah. because of the same crimes. Yeah. I think, yeah, he's a sort of litmus test for pretension, this one. It's an interesting... So you probably, in that in that sense, you'll probably know whether you're going to like this film mm. going into it if, because if you don't like that sort of thing, it's exactly what you're going to get. So I just, think you I... need to be aware of that going into it. But it, it, like, like what you're saying there, if that's the meaning, no one's. he's not going to go and say, no, say, no you're wrong. He's going to say, great, you took something from it that is okay. your meaning and that's absolutely right for you. So he's looking at it like a piece of art. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I think where the struggle comes in for someone like me who's a convent this sounds very patronising, a conventional film viewer, I, I need an, a structure to it. I need line d- clear lines of it's, where something's exactly. potentially going. And the, but, but I don't have a problem with a slightly open-ended ending yeah. where you can interpret yeah, but, but this, this isn't just open-ended. No, this, this is, is the whole thing is, it seems like it, it jumps a lot because of the nature of the story, because this, it's almost like a pulp. See, again, I relate it to a, a a modern-ish film that I can relate to time jumps, like Pulp Fiction, where you've got stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. And again, that's my interpretation of how it goes through. 
I just struggled with that with that level of understanding absolutely yeah. the fact that you take from every part of it what you want. For some reason, the part that I really did think, oh, this is actually ramping up, it's actually going quite well, is when she went to the audition and and when and she did mm. that scene with yeah. the, the actor. I thought, oh, this is well, slightly a- more conventional kind of film and I can see maybe she's all screwed up and she understands actually how Hollywood works. But it then went again mental so that's where my problems <laughs> with it go especially when she walked in well it's a great scene that you have the elderly couple going away in the car smiling as if they've just done something or something and to me it was just like put me on edge as say something well, something's not right yeah here. it's the idea of shadowy unexplained forces yeah. manipulating yeah. events you know and that comes through the whole movie well, of course especially with the casting yeah you know yeah there's all lots of so anyway, Betty Betty ends up back at the apartment. I can't remember how, but she meets she she meets the um, the Coco, yeah, who who shows her the apartment. Kind of lets her just get on with it, and Betty m- meets Rita. She's who, calling herself Rita after the poster of Rita yeah, Hayworth. She's in the but shower. Then, <laughs> then then we go to it's unconnected, but we go to a diner, Winkies. Yeah, and there's a guy. It's I forgot to get his name. Did you get his, the actor's name? Uh, he's really recognisable. He's telling another guy about a dream he had. It's more a nightmare. Oh, yes, yeah. He's saying it's the second time I've had this dream. They're both the same. You're in the diner with me. You're standing over there. I'm scared in the dream. You're scared as well. Uh, he says in the dream, he he talks about a man at the back of the diner and he can see his face through the wall. He's making it all happen. Yeah. He, he says, he looks terrified. He says, I hope I can never see that face outside of the dream. So anyway, it's fucking spooky and weird. And What's, what I like about this scene is it's two people having a conversation and traditionally, I guess you would just have a camera in a fixed point, probably behind someone's shoulder, looking at the other one and vice versa coming the other way. So you would just have a fixed, mm. you know, view of it. But here the camera is fluid. It's ha- it's almost handheld. It's yeah. kind of floating around and it makes the scene very uneasy. You, you kind of, well, it's intimate, uh, isn't it? You're part of the conversation. Other ways, you might have the Dutch angle, Dutch rudder law, mm. to make things look slightly uneasy. Here the camera's moving around, which you normally wouldn't get in a conversation like that. And it, it no. just puts everything slightly ill at ease. And so, then you get, and it continues because there's a load of different styles going on on here because when they go outside to investigate, because uh, the guy goes and stands where he does in the dream. The he, guy, goes go pay, outside, he? he goes to pay, doesn't he? He goes to pay the bill. He goes to pay and he's watching and he's like, shit, yeah. that was where you were in the dream. And then when they go outside, you get these point of view shots first yeah. at the top of the stairs, mm. then at the bottom, yeah. like on the middle of the stairs, then shots looking back at them mm. and coming down and the tension is ramping up. They're going towards the corner of the dumpster. There's graffiti on the wall. It says WWF, lol. And just <laughs> yeah. as he gets to the corner this crone creature a woman with matted hair and very like soot all yeah. over her face comes out you see her for maybe like the score's been building yeah it's ratcheted it's right, up. right up it's pounding and 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 he looks at her and then he just goes unconscious like backwards I, in fright i assumed he died yeah, yeah i assume and that he goes too. to the floor and she disappears you you don't see, i mean she's on screen for a second one second tops, yeah. yeah now this entire area this entire scene it's a great scene you don't know what the fuck is going on but it's brilliant (laughs) was completely ruined for a bizarre aesthetic reason now this is a proper first world problem i rented it in hd because that was the only option my i've got this super duper telly that zoops up everything Mm. and it turns it into it tries to make it scaled up to 8k or something daft it made it look like a film student with a camcorder Mm. it's it's so the high-end TVs now 
when they upscaled, upscaling upscaling yeah. is it made that look like some film student had got a sony old school sony camcorder mm. and it was like it kind of blurred a little mm. and it looked like a home video and it and i was like watching it going it just looks really crap and but all the tension and the fact that the the uh, and I, I I didn't really have context for why he was doing this. No, why he was saying of it. You didn't. You won't. No, and, and again, and it did freak at the end with that bloody crone. She just went and just popped out and then fucked off again. And he, I it's more his reaction. Yeah, it's, I assumed that's he died. Scary. But it was just that's just a weird aesthetic that I'd never really noticed before. It does it with old TV shows on mm. like bizarrely i watched the a-team the other day and it makes it look really really crap an amateur mm. even though you're like, oh it's one they've zooped it up to hd yeah it looks crap so it's an unintentional one of that what i was going to say was i can't remember now because again the film was so confusing did we ever see those two ever again in the rest you saw of the film? you see the the guy who died you see you the see, crone again you see you him, see the crone again you see him in the diner again and you see her at the end okay then now we're introduced to the film director well before that though don't we get there's like a sequence of picking up phones and saying things into phones putting down phones and it's stuff. the math it's the dwarf dude isn't it who's not a dwarf yeah there's like phones ringing yeah there's, no some, there's something and... about the, the the studio system i assume this mm. one you just see the back of some big fat guy's head and he's on the phone and it's the dwarf guy from uh, i think twin he's peaks. called the man from the other place in twin peaks but he's not a dwarf here he's like uh, in a vertical was normal it, he's, but he's he's sat in a chair and he seems to have long legs and whatever it's very but it's it's so jarring when you know him from something else mm. and then you see you're presented with him like completely different and he barely utters a word in the film but he's weirdly intimidating because he's obviously in charge he's, he's like in a soundproofed room or something where the guy just yeah david Lynch loves these like single room things where mm. people it's, and the color red always appears as well so there's something going on with the studio system and they're in control of something. And then we meet the film director and he's being told... Adam, he looks suspiciously like Steven Soderbergh. Does actually. Mr. Yeah, Theroux. Yeah. yeah. He's Justin... Just, he's, Adam Kershaw. Louis yeah. Theroux's cousin. Justin Theroux, yeah. He's... It seems like he's been summoned to a meeting about a casting issue and he is told two guys walk in and they're, they're obviously super intimidating. And one of the guys says... I've, I've found this amazing coffee for you. Oh, yeah, the thing that yeah. goes on about the coffee and that the guy that has the coffee, that's Angelo Badalamenti who does yeah. the score. He, he spits it. He, he whispers about napkin. Yeah. And then when yeah. he tastes the espresso, he just yes. sort of spits, but he even spits it. No, he just lets just, it, it pour out, dribble out of his mouth. It's really all horrible. over his face. And mm. it's disgusting. And then they just bring out one of those sort of classic headshot, Hollywood headshots of a, of an actress. And they say, this is the girl. And the film director dude's just like, what the fuck is this? Like, no, yeah. it's not. You know, I'm in control of this picture. And that's not the fucking girl. And they're like, this is the this girl. This is the girl. And you kind of think, don't mess with these guys. They seem like... It's super. so weird. It's it's unexplained what their motivation is yeah. or what their plan is. It's just this shadowy, like... I assume they were mafia. But yeah, they're supposed to be gangsters. Yeah, definitely. So the news goes back to the man from the other place, who's now not the man from the other place, and he just utters like one word, I think. He, he, the, the film director smashes up someone's car. Mm. The, the, the driver uh, is sat in the car, and he smashes up with his golf club that he carries around with him. Um, when he gets back, 
he goes back to his house, doesn't he? And Billy Ray and he Cyrus finds his <laughs> wife in bed with the pool boy Gene, who's played by the most incredible mulleted, goateed yeah. Billy Ray Cyrus. And he said, he says to him, "Just forget you saw it. It's better that way." <laughs> That's the first thing he says to him. He grabs her jewellery yeah. and gets some pink paint from the yeah. garage, doesn't he? And yeah. he's would that it. permanently damage it? He pours it all. It seems a bit of a trivial thing to do. I probably would have just. I thought his shirt looked quite cool after it was covered in pink paint. Probably paid a lot of he's money for stuff virtually like that. the only character in this that is like relatable in any way, like acts like a real human being. Yeah. Because when he later has to go and talk to the cowboy, is that next? That's kind of next, isn't it? He <laughs> yeah. has to go and talk yeah, to the, the guy weird. in a cowboy hat who, in a deserted corral. <laughs> and um, it's got the, the light comes on and all this shit. And... Yeah. Do you know the, actor, it, the actor's name who played the cowboy? I looked it up today, but I've already forgotten. Monty Montgomery. That's good <laughs> Monty one, Monty. <laughs> and he's the one, again, he's like, you know, you've got to hire Camilla, I think they yeah. say this time, Camilla. And if you do what you're told, you'll see me one more time. And if you don't do, you'll see me two more times. And the and the director is kind of like, he's got that right combination of being kind of scared, but also like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it is a guy in full cowboy gear, basically. Yeah, but he's quite menacing. He, yeah. Even though he looks a bit of a well, dick. It's, it's like, I'm going to, you're going to die. Like, I'm going to yeah. kill you. I've obviously been hit. I've been brought out here to intimidate you. Yeah. And so he does, he reluctantly... He says, yes, this is the girl. Bingy. Camilla. I don't know what it was. There's a scene going on and he he reluctantly agrees to take her on. Yeah. Then we get the hitmen, right? Is this like yeah. the blonde like guy is so weird? Turns into a comedy. Nowhere. Yeah, it just oh, turns they... into a comedy. So there's like a hitman. He's laughing away Ask with. For... He's talking about the guy with long hair who features in this week's movie as well. By the way, Love and Mercy. So. Okay. But he, they're talking about a funny story about a car accident, and then the blonde guy suddenly looks interested at the desk, and he's like, "Oh, that." He says that. I think he says that's Ed's famous black book, and the other guy says it's the history of the world in phone numbers. <laughs> and you're just like, okay. And, and then him. the blonde guy pulls out a gun, shoots him and then he's trying to make it look like he shot himself and he's cleaning the gun putting it in his hand and he shoots through the wall and shoots <laughs> you, just the, you just hear this woman going ah ah like so he goes into the office next door something bit she, me real yeah, bad something bit me something bit me <laughs> And then they have this like she's she fights for her life when they have a a, a good scrap and he trips over the the cables doesn't he and yeah. he ends up having to like drag her back and then he sees a janitor as he's dragging her back yeah. how uh, basically like- has to kill them all. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. just mental. And then he, uh, then the vacuum cleaner's going, and he's like, I don't know what he was thinking he was going to do. Here. He shoots it, and then the fire alarm goes off. He looks really pissed off, so and he, he escapes down leaves. the fire escape. Yeah. Again, just like tonally jarring to yeah. what you've just seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it is really funny. It's, yeah. It's kind of all of these scenes are like, they're all like in search of their own movies. That's what I feel about watching a David Lynch thing. Well, I don't know if you want to mention this now, but this wasn't a movie. Yeah, exactly. And I think it really shows. I think that, I think it might be true to say that The Straight Story was the last film he made that was made, set out to be a movie. This was a pilot for a TV series. It was supposed to be a sort of follow-on from Twin Peaks. Rita's character was going to be Audrey Horn from Twin Peaks. That'll get Pete interested. So it so when it if you if it sounds like it feels a bit like they're different episodes, that there's probably yeah. a lot of truth to that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think Next. it's now the casting moment that I said, the It's awkward. a great scene. And, and yeah, it is a great scene. We'd already seen her practicing the speech and she'd done it in a very different way, a mm. much more playful and jovial type way. And when she goes in with her this is co-star. Betty. Is it, yeah. 
is it Rex? Not Rex. It's like a really established actor, but he's kind of sleazy. He's, he's a perv, he's yeah. He's, he's yeah, he's permatanned and awful. But she changes the context of what she. You would already seen her do this. It's a great scene because this is the one that I always think when people say Lynch doesn't get performances out of it, mm. his actors. Well, this is the scene yeah. where he really does. She she turns the tables on him by mm. being almost the alpha in this love scene. She's and he's sort of femme fatale. Yeah, and he's yeah. completely wrapped up in her in this audition. And the, all of them are just, all of the casting crew are just like jaw drop. Mm. What, what is going on here? Mm. But it's, it is painful. And it alludes to the fact of what actually goes on at casting agencies. Yeah, mm. definitely. And what is that, Howie? What uh, videos have you seen? I don't know. There's a lot of taxis that take them there. <laughs> all the, the while that this is going on, they're, they're doing... Try and, because Rita has lost her memory. She has no recollection of why she's got to where she is and what happened. And she's sort of starting to piece it together. And they're trying to work together in a sort of detective way to mm. to figure out exactly what happened that night with the with the car accident. And they end up well. She's got a blue key in her purse as yeah. well, hasn't she? So it's you don't, they don't know what that is for or. <laughs> Neither do we. <laughs> but anyway, is it now when they go to the the nightclub? Well, they 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 have a little lesbian love off before they go to the club. Yeah, there, um, there's some... which I thought was despite all. It's pretty gratuitous, isn't it? It's gratuitous and mm. not necessary. Mm. I didn't think well, it. Well, it is and it isn't. Obviously, yeah, it's very necessary. It's fairly. It's not. Is it graphic? It's pretty male gazy. I would say. Yeah, that's the lesbian yeah. Yeah, yeah. like love affair. It's kind of like softcore pornography, kind of almost in a way. But you know, I don't think again, it fit. It despite the whole film being crazy all over, it didn't fit in with everything. Well, it nothing like fits it, in with well, anything. I it seemed like a set, that. Okay, well, it, well, it I does. Think... Is it going to fit in better with what happens next? Because they go to a theatre called Club Silencio. Oh, this was the mental bit. <laughs> Silencio! Uh, so a guy comes on stage and he starts saying, There's no band. Hmm. Is he saying it in different, different? He's saying it in different languages. French, I think. Spanish, maybe. I'm not sure. He's saying there's no band. It's a tape recording. If you if you want to, you can hear a clarinet, and then a clarinet plays. Yeah. Uh, and then a guy comes out in a white suit, and he's playing the trumpet. And then it reveals that he's not playing the yeah. trumpet. The vocals keep carrying on. Very Milli Vanilli. And he keeps saying everything is recorded. There is no band. Life itself is like this. There is no orchestra. Everything is an illusion. And then he summons Thunder inside, of course. Yeah. And Betty starts shaking in her chair. And then he disappears in blue smoke, looking all demonic. And then a guy comes out with an incredible moustache and a red suit. Mm. And he introduces Rebecca Del Rio. Yeah. And she sings this beautiful, beautiful live song, except she doesn't because she passes out towards <laughs> the end of it. And then Betty discovers a blue box in her purse. Yeah. This is that that whole scene was lost on me. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Of course but, it was. Well, I, I mean, that, that is. I've just described what happened. There's no context right. for any of that. They just go to this club. Although all the whole life is a your dream and an illusion. Mm. You know, if you haven't had it hammered through the subtext of what's already going on, that he's literally telling you it. Oh well, now this is such a cool scene because well this they um, go back to the apartment with the box and the key yeah yeah this is a really cool scene they go back to rita's apartment 
and she's now got the blue box that was in her purse it's like the cube out of hellraiser i can't remember what they call it it's like just a perfect mm. blue box yeah and she and rita they go back to rita's apartment they go in betty places the blue box on the bed and the camera moves past betty to rita as she gets a hat box out of the closet and then it's just a really quick shot but it follows back as she places the hat box on the bed but betty's gone and then a second later rita notices and looks around it's like what betty has just completely yeah. disappeared in the time that it took the camera mm. to look at the hat box mm. and come back and she kind of calls for her looks around the apartment i don't know whatever then so she's now got the blue box and the blue key and she takes the blue key and she sort of unfolds it unlocks it takes the key out opens the box it's black inside and we yeah. zoom directly into the box then the box falls to the floor and the apartment is empty yeah there we go what'd you make of that harry <laughs> I have no idea what was. I, I I don't know what to make of it, and this is why I felt like I was thick or something. I was don't going, feel like you're thick. It's not. Don't. I, don't. I was going, Just enjoy it, man. It's weird. <laughs> but I struggled to. Yeah. Maybe you're not engaged with it, and I can totally understand that. I just enjoy the sort of absurdity of it. It's not traditional filmmaking and storytelling. And I think that's probably my problem. I couldn't cope with the absurdity of it because I thought it was people trying to be. I thought it was contrived and people trying to be clever and look how clever we are and i think and, that's and, okay and, to and, think and, that and and i'm not discrediting because there were parts that i bizarrely really enjoyed mm, exactly but there were bits i was just like i don't understand i don't understand i wish i could but i don't get it i'm being really thick and josephine my wife was watching it and she was saying exactly what you guys are saying she was like you just have to interpret it the way you think it might be and then she would say, but I think it's probably this, that or the other. And I'd go, I don't, I, I don't know. I barely interpret it at all, to be honest. I just watch it and enjoy the freaky weirdness of what I'm watching literally happening in that moment. You know, I read all the interpretations and I think, great, good for you. Mm. You know, for me, I don't know. I don't have, it doesn't have any big symbolism for me. It's just weird and I like it. <laughs> the film comes back after the opening of the box and Betty is now Diane. Yeah. And... Rita is now Camilla. Yeah. So she's Camilla from the headshot before, albeit mm. looks different because the original Camilla is Angel from Home and Away. Ju Melissa, Melissa George. George. Melissa George, who was in Triangle. Yeah. So the identities have now completely changed. Yeah. When do we get the bit with the corpse on the bed? Is, they, that, is that now? Yes, yes, I think it is. They go to see someone and she says, We've oh, swapped, we swapped apartments. Yeah. Fucking weird. So they go in. And the pol is it the police are after Camilla because she she screams and the sound is is changed and when they see this this corpse has obviously been in the bed for a long time yeah and Camilla screams but you don't hear her yeah Diane trying to remember everyone's name Diane is trying to keep her quiet because they're yeah. they're they're sort of on the run yes yeah because of the car crash at the beginning yeah yeah right they go to a party. Yeah, I they get go, confused they go to, because there's a she few says, characters now who get identity switched as well, isn't there? Because one of the hitmen is also at the diner later when they go to Winkies. Oh, anyway. <laughs> there we go. She goes to pay the hitman to kill the other Rita. And then there's, and then she goes to a party. The reason she wants to kill her is because they went to a party together. She's yes. in love with her. And she introduces her to her director boyfriend and they just play it out in front of her and basically tease her. Mm. They sort of snog and love each other. And Yeah, so Camilla is 
in a relationship with Adam, Adam, who is the film director, and he is casting her. Yeah, so she is. A, she is actually a successful actress, and Diane is in love with her and is also <laughs> incredibly jealous of her success because she is she is struggling actress in this reality that yeah. we're being presented with now. So things have changed a lot. And so then we go to the diner where she hands over money and the headshot. And this is the girl. Yeah. That those words, this we've heard quite a lot. She doesn't actually say, I want her killed. She doesn't, we're not explicitly that it's left open ended. It's inferred. You, you assume yeah. she wants her to be, to get killed. Yeah. She, yeah. She's having, she's paying for a hit. Yeah. For a committed to be offed. Yeah. Though it doesn't explicitly say that. And that's when he tells her that you'll, that you'll find a blue key when the job is done. Yeah. Well, this is when Diane now, she then... I reckon we should give a prize to anyone listening to this who knows what the fuck is going on in this film. Right, now, so <laughs> she's so now looking, she explain. goes back home and she's just staring at the blue key on the coffee table. This is what I've got from my notes next, right? The creature from the diner is playing with yes. the clue box in the dark... Uh, there's dark smoke billowing around her. She's lit in red, the creature. The creature puts the blue box in a brown paper bag and drops it on the floor, at which point we zoom into it. There's an old-fashioned like ring pull can yeah. for, for for context. You can see the size. Two old people from the beginning run out in sped-up motion and they're cackling and yeah. laughing. And then she's a, a, alone at home on the sofa. There's ominous music playing. She's like really strung out, staring at an ordinary key. Like just a hail, yeah, Yale key or whatever. It's like some memory of the, yeah, the blue key, and the tiny old people then crawl under her door, <laughs> while someone knocks really loudly. Then the old people rush her, and now they're regular sized and they're yeah. screaming at her, and she runs to the bedroom and then she shoots herself. Yeah, and, and so, then, she, so she is the corpse. Yeah, that they saw in the apartment. Yeah, earlier. And then you see the horrible creature again, loads of smoke and yeah. shit, a swelling, stirring score, great shots of LA, yeah. and Naomi Watts and the other character who was Rita and is now Camilla. And then Laura, we go back Laura to the theatre. Laura Haring, her name is, because yeah. I've never come across her in anything since or before. Yeah. No. And then we go back to the theatre and the lady with Silencio. blue hair says, Silencio. The end. Yeah. So it, it, we sort of stumbled our way through there because it is fucking a real minefield to try and piece it together, really. There is a sort of tradition. There is a an explanation, isn't there, Side, which I'm pretty sure you're going to have over there. I that do have kind it. of pieces the film together in a way that makes sense in a more traditional mm -hmm. narrative way. But So the Jitterbugs thing is real. She had one, and this is just one interpretation, but it's the most popular slash widely accepted the jitterbug competition was real she won a jitterbug competition and decided that she wanted to pursue a career in show business then you see some blankets and a pillow that she is asleep from then until the door knocks everything that happens is a dream and her as a struggling failed actress who's in love with another woman who has her killed that's the reality and everything that happened in between there is a dream but if you go on to mulholland-drive.net, there's a whole section of theories on it, and there are millions and millions of theories. I'll just give you some of the, the headers of them. Bribery, different form of revenge, Betty and Rita, light and dark side of Diane. Diane dreamt twice, Diane was murdered. The abortion theory, two drug trips. 
Diane projecting herself as Rita, schizophrenia, battle of super he- super ego and id. Mm. The old couple represent Adam and Camilla, Re- replay of Diane's sexual abuse. That's just one section called dream reality. Then there's all dream or all real or metaphysical explanation. There are so many on. out there. I, I don't think it really warrants that kind of No, but analysis. it's the sort of film that people will obsess over that sort of stuff. People who like David Lynch, people who want to find some meaning in there. I mean, he gets a real cult around him mm. and they love to do this sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. I really <laughs> like this, mm. but like you, Reese, more just because it's... It is a bit. I think when I think of the film in terms of that section of it being a dream, it, to me it seems a little bit more traditional then because the stuff after it does seem a bit more, apart mm. from the like midget uh, old people and stuff, of it just being a kind of sad sort of jealousy and love story, you know, gone wrong, does make a little bit more sense. But you can just interpret this a million different ways and like that sort of stuff about it. It's got a good sense of humour about it, despite it it being really weird. You know, not just the Hitman scene, there's other scenes that are quite funny. Yeah. I still found the the, the diner scene where they see the the homeless person for the first time. I still find that fucking terrifying. (laughs) Mm. It is. It's unique. And I think if somebody were to sit here and they said they thought it was utterly bullshit and it was Emperor's New Clothes stuff... I would find it really hard to argue with them, particularly even though I get a kick out of it and there's good filmmaking on display and it's just, you know, it's just not conventional at all. It's the 14th film that was nominated for the best director, but no other categories. Mm. Yeah, well, it's not really, apart from Naomi Watts's Yeah, people were upset that she didn't have a nomination though. It was originally, I mentioned it before, but it was originally written in the early 1990s as a spin-off of Twin Peaks, character arc of Betty in the movie, was written for Twin Peaks supporting character Audrey Horn, who would have been the central figure of the proposed spin-off. If someone was to, like, at the end of each review, you normally say, so how did you find it? Did mm. you like it? My answer would be, I couldn't tell you. Well, the original the, the original time, criteria yeah. we did for the podcast, it was Sidey's idea. And in a way, we should go back to it, because I think yeah. it's really pure. It was, are you were you not entertained? yeah. yeah. And and that is a good question mm. because it doesn't you don't you don't have to justify it. It's were you entertained or not? And my answer would be I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I, I, and how fucked is that? Yeah. It's not. Uh, I don't know. It's not. I wasn't. It's not. I was. I just couldn't tell you. I've never seen anything like it, ever. Yeah. As I was going through it, I thought, oh, as you just said, this is the Empress New Clothes. Mm. Uh, this is full of pretentious cunts. Mm. This is the sort of shit film students watch and tell me I'm a wanker for not liking and preferring yeah. the Avengers or Captain Marvel. <laughs> yeah. And then I liked it in the middle and I really got into it. And then I was like, what the fuck? What? And I just got bamboozled, but wasn't sure what. I, I, I can't adequately put together my thoughts on it. So there must be something. It's, it's a piece of art. Well, counterpoints. Uh, the film was chosen by Le Carrière du Cinéma, in France, as the best picture of the decade in the noughties. The film was voted the best film of the 21st century by the BBC Culture Poll in 2016. You know, there's people out there who really, really do like it. They've not seen Um, Captain Marvel, have they? The licence plate on the limo at the end of the movie, 2GAT123, is Larry David's licence plate in Curb Your Enthusiasm. Nice. Yeah. So So they're set in the same universe. Yes, that's what it must be. He bought that secondhand. Yeah. Yeah. And because it was originally shot for TV, or some of it was originally TV, 
when it was sent out to cinemas for projections, David Lynch had a, a letter for each projectionist saying, "Oh well, there, I, there was a. I saw a load of great stuff about aspect ratios because yeah. he likes to shoot in two thirty three one. I think it is, and then, but he because it was for TV, it had to be one seventy seven one. It was one seventy eight one, yeah, or sixteen nine. And so they had. He was asking the projectionist to manually correct it and yeah. show it lower down in the projection. Yeah, and he signed it off. Your friend David Lynch. So yeah, it's all kinds yeah. of." Cool. There's so much aspect ratio. If you like aspect ratios, a lot to enjoy there. It'd be great if our listeners could let us know what they thought and let us know mm. their, any theories that, that you may or have. Or if you think it's shit, let us know if you think it's shit as well. Yeah, probably get a few of those. Mm. Pete, watch it. Yeah. Pete likes Jim Pete, so he might like this. <laughs>